Luckily, we have some. If only there was a solution to this problem. Right. Too bad there's not. Yup. It's a crying shame. <laughs> so real quick, what are we resuming? It's been a full month since we were doing like this because we had Youth Sunday last time. So what were we talking about before, you know? Let me check. Don't like me do Ruth. No, I We finished Ruth a little bit ago. We I didn't have a handout for this one because it was like it was the it was the Sunday after my sister got married. That is the handout. That is the correct handout for today. So we're learning about assurance. So what was assurance part one? Like, what are we talking about? Um, gosh, my memory's <laughs> fried. I wouldn't remember either. <laughs> so I'm going to jog your memory. But we, we started talking about Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 20 through 23, where Jesus is saying, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In other words, did we not do the will of your Father? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the entire thing that's going on there where Jesus is like, there's going to be a lot of people who are claiming to be Christians, who claim to know me, who are going to do a lot of righteous things, and yet I'm going to send them to hell. And they're going to figure out at the very last time that they're jacked. And so we were talking about, like, there's some high stakes. Thinking that you're a Christian, claiming to be a Christian, going to church doesn't actually guarantee your eternal salvation. So we're talking about how can you actually know whether or not you're saved? Because that's a scary set of verses, man. And so last week we talked about gospel belief and we specifically talked about, you know, if someone doesn't believe the gospel, you can actually know for 100% certainty that they're not a Christian. If they don't believe that Jesus is God, they're not a Christian. If they don't believe that Jesus is their savior, they're not a Christian. If they don't believe that like faith saves them, they're not a Christian. If they're trying to earn their salvation, if they're thinking that works are contributing to going to heaven, they're not a Christian. Like that's the stuff that we talked about last week. And yet we said, well, okay, what if you have someone who claims to believe all of those things? Are they a Christian? Is that all there is to it? Is it just orthodoxy? And so today we're going to be talking about righteous living. That when you are actually a Christian, you're going to have a changed life. And so we're talking about that in James chapter 2. And this is like the quintessential passage that deals with this issue. But it says in verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things necessary for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so when he talks about, you know, go, when, if he talks about, if you have a brother or sister who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the needs for the body, what good is that? Like how, what's another way that you could kind of discuss that? What's James saying there? That's like, what's the point of like saying to someone uh, like, Oh, you'll be okay when they're really not. Yeah, it's like, what's the point of even saying that? Because is it true? Are you actually helping them? No, not at all. Not even a little bit, <laughs> right? 
And so basically James is saying that mere words have no benefit if there's no action behind them. And we talked last time. I was like, you know, if, if Drew says that this room's on fire and you're like, Drew, is this room on fire? Yes, this room is on fire. You believe that you're going to get burned alive if you stay in this room. Yes, yes, in fact, I do. It's like, you can say you believe that, but it's very clear he doesn't because he's not acting out that belief. And so that's actually the argument that James is going to make here where he just says, you might say that you're a Christian. You might say you believe. Maybe you believe all the right things and maybe you can name all of the right things. But if you just say that and your life isn't different, it means absolutely nothing. And it's not that your works are saving you. It's not that what you do is what gets you into heaven. But if you have faith, your life will be different. And James is saying, if you actually believe, I'll be able to tell by looking at you. And so he says in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So exactly what I just said. It's like, you want to say, tell me you have faith? I should be able to see a difference. So the person that says they have faith but doesn't have a changed life, it's like, oh yeah, prove it. Whereas the person that has a changed life, the changed life is actually all you need. They don't need to say they have faith because you can see their faith. And he says in verse 19, you believe that God is one. Which, do you guys know what the Shema is? <clears throat> so the Shema is a thing from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Israel, <clears throat> they would like get up in the morning and they would constantly say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. <clears throat> you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Like that, that's, that's called the Shema. And so James is quoting like the core of what would be considered Israeli orthodoxy. And he's like, you believe the Shema. You believe that God is one. You do well. You know who else believes that? Demons. <laughs> so you think you're special? No. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Even the demons believe and shudder. And so the thing that you see there is it's like one of the cool things. I've heard it said Satan is a better theologian than, also, than anyone. Like demons, they have perfect theology. They know God. They've talked to God. <laughs> They've interacted with God. They've interacted with other angels. Like Satan has, Satan would pass every single theology test with flying colors. Also, he's still Satan. <laughs> and so when he says even the demons believe, it's like, yeah, the fact that you can quote orthodoxy means nothing. Because this is the fun part. He says even the demons believe and shudder. So he says that even the demons, because they believe, they actually act out that belief. The demons are afraid because they know what's coming for them. And so it's like, you're going to tell me you believe, but even the demons have better belief than you do, which is kind of like a big slap in the face. And then he keeps going and he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Don't you just love kind of the, the gentleness and, and love that just oozes out of James's letters? You foolish person. <laughs> um... Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Which, do you guys know the story of Abraham and Isaac? Yeah. So what, what happens? What's the story of Abraham and Isaac? What did Abraham do? He said, yeah. Yeah, he said, <laughs> I know the story. <laughs> Tell it. Uh, so God basically tells 
um, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Yep. And they go up to do it, and as Isaac is already like strapped down to the altar. Yeah. Uh, what was it? And was it God or an angel told yep. him to not do it? And then there was like a goat. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And that's pretty wild. Like, that's a big deal. Because Isaac, how many sons did Abraham have? Oh, wait. Like, legitimate sons? Yes, actually. <laughs> that is, yes. <laughs> Important clarification. Yes, legitimate sons. <laughs> Ishmael had already been sent off at this point. <laughs> yeah, just one. So Isaac's the only one. And God told Abraham that his descendants would be named through who? Isaac. That's right. So God had told Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants and offspring through Isaac. Now, go kill him. And so that's kind of one of those things that we kind of miss. But in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac your offspring shall be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, of which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So in that situation, the reason that that's a demonstration of faith is because even as Abraham was bringing a knife down on Isaac, he was thinking to himself, I'm still going to have my grandkids for this guy. Like Abraham had such incredible faith. He didn't think he was killing Isaac. He thought, even if Isaac dies, God will raise him from the dead because God told me that I'm going to get my descendants through Isaac. And one of the things that you need to think about with faith is that a lot of times in our modern day, how would, we, how would you define faith? What's an adjective that you would usually slap in front of faith? Faith is? Trust. Trust. Have you guys ever heard of blind faith? Yeah. So we generally, typically think of faith as like belief in something even when you don't have proof. That is not what the Bible means by faith. The Bible does not actually mean, like the Bible when it talks about faith doesn't mean belief in something that isn't, that may or may not be true. Faith is belief in something that's obvious. Like, I have faith that this chair is real. That's why I'm sitting on it. Yeah, right? I'm believing that this chair is able to support my weight. And you can tell because I'm sitting on it. And that's not like blind faith in something that I can't believe is true. That's, that's faith in something that is clear. And so when God talks about faith, he's talking about belief in something that's clear. And so for Abraham, Abraham had seen God's character. Abraham had spoken to God. And when Abraham listened to God and God said, I'm going to give you descendants through Isaac, Abraham was not exercising faith in something that he didn't know whether or not it was real. Abraham was exercising faith in God's word the same way that I'm exercising faith in this chair. And the way that the Bible thinks about faith is not at all the way that we think about faith. And that's an important distinction to draw. Because the reason Abraham was able to sacrifice Isaac and the reason that was a demonstration of faith is because he still fully believed that he was going to have grandkids. Like, that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. And so, how do you say, how do you demonstrate that Abraham truly believes that God is good for his word? He was willing to kill Isaac. He wasn't trying to guard Isaac and protect the potential that Isaac was going to survive to have kids. He was willing to kill Isaac and still have faith that God would bring offspring through him. And so James is saying, you want to know that Abraham had faith in God's promise? He was willing to kill his son. You like Abraham can tell you that he has faith, but you know something that Abraham does not need to do after pulling that stint? Tell you that he has faith. <laughs> 
And that's the argument that James is making. He's saying, you know what? I don't need Abraham to tell me he has faith. I've seen it. And in the same way, if you have faith, your word means nothing. Your actions will tell me something. And he says again in verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was it not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the work, um, as, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, what's the story of Rahab? Who knows that one? Adelaide, like, give me the story of Rahab. So there were these spies and they came to the city and they hid in Rahab's house and Rahab lied for them and then they saved Rahab when they destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Israel comes to Jericho and basically after leaving uh, the wilderness, Joshua leads Israel through the waters of the Jordan River and they go and they camp across from Jericho. They send spies in and the spies are hidden in Rahab's house and Rahab lies for them, associating herself with Israel and just says, when you conquer the city, let me live. And Jericho's this stronghold that has survived all kinds of things that is now looking at a bunch of wanderers from the wilderness with sandals on their feet and they're terrified. And again, faith is not blind faith in something that may or may not be true. Why was Rahab scared? It actually says in the story. This is a this is an obscure this is an obscure thing if you know the answer. Why was Rahab scared? Cause. Just cuz. <laughs> so, Rahab talks to the spies and she says, "We have heard everything that happened in Egypt." What did God do to Egypt? Yeah, man. Ten plagues, death of every firstborn, and then he killed the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea. The people of Canaan had heard of that. And so again, this is not like blind faith in something that may or may not be true. You hear that this nation whose God completely destroyed the superpower of the age has wandered on over to your city and just spent spies in to conquer you. The same group of people that you just watched them, like the Jordan River just stopped flowing with a magical wall, let them walk across on dry land. And that same like group of people that you heard about destroy the nation of Egypt is camped right outside your doorstep. And there are some spies there with you. That's not faith the way that an American would think of faith. That's faith, the same kind of faith I have in this chair. That's that kind of faith, where you're not wondering what's about to happen to you. You know what's about to happen to you. And so Rahab, you don't need to ask her, hey Rahab, do you actually believe that Israel's going to conquer Jericho? You don't need to ask her. She just harbored spies, something that she could get executed for if that was found out. She harbored spies and said, once you conquer us, can you let me live? I don't need to wonder if she wonders whether or not Israel is going to conquer Jericho. Her faith is demonstrated by her actions. And so James is looking at all of these people and he's saying, you say you have faith. You say you believe. Your saying that you have orthodox belief is not going to save you because it might not be real. If you actually believe, your life is going to be different. And so that's one of those things. Like, this is a section of um, the Bible where a bunch of people are like, James is teaching that you got to be saved by works, but Paul teaches you're saved by faith. That's a contradiction. And it's like, no, actually. <laughs> Whenever you see James talking about faith, you can just swap it out for orthodox belief. You know, saying you believe the right things. Because even in verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? 
but does not have works. So even James draws that distinction. And essentially, no one in the church listening to this letter is going to raise their hand and say, yeah, I say I have faith. No. Everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, those people who, who say they have faith, I'm not one of those. I've actually got faith. And James is like, oh, okay, you have faith? What does your life look like? Because you're, I think you're a liar. I'm going to call your bluff. And so that's kind of where the way that this works out. And that's why it's important to think about these things. But James is not saying that your works are going to save you. James is saying that your works are a demonstration of the belief you have. And so if you're in a situation and you're looking at your life and you're like, okay, I don't actually have righteous works. I don't act the way that I'm supposed to act, but I say I have faith. Your response is not to be like, well, I guess I need more works. I'm just not righteous enough. No. The response is to evaluate your life and to think about, okay, why aren't the actions there? Because trying to like pretend and trying to do the actions instead isn't going to help you. You instead need to think about like, okay, where's my faith? Do I, do I actually have faith? If I actually have faith, I need to rely on God, need, need to pray, I need to work on this. But the works are not what saves you. And so the response to this is not to start having works. The response to this is to start working on your faith, right? And so in John 14, 15, just to put a nice little bow on this, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The person that loves Jesus is the person that keeps his commandments. And that's exactly what James is saying. And so when you're looking at your own life and you're looking at other people's lives, you need to ask yourself, okay, do they have gospel belief? If they don't have gospel belief, I can know for 100% certainty that they are not a Christian. Like, (laughs) if you're a really, really righteous, nice person, but you also don't believe Jesus is God, fantastic. You're not a Christian. Like, that's easy. But if they have gospel belief, and if I have gospel belief, if they say the right things, if they have the right beliefs, what's their life like? Do I actually see a change? Because if they have faith, they will act righteously. If they have the Holy Spirit, they're going to act righteously. So things like, okay, are they going to church? Are they living with their boyfriend before they're married? Are they doing things in their life where they're just sinning and they're not repentant about it? They just don't care. Where the pattern of their life is a rejection of the things that God says. And the pattern of their life is not actively doing the things God tells you to do where they're not serving in church. They're not loving one another. They're not taking care of each other's needs. They're one of those people that says, go be warm to be filled. And then does not give the person what they need for their body. Like one of the demonstrations of someone being a Christian is that you're willing to make financial sacrifices even to take care of someone else in the church. And so James is looking at people and he's like, okay, do you have these things? And for us, we should be looking at ourselves and also at other people. But here's the thing. Does that mean that a Christian never sins? Does that mean that a Christian can never struggle with sin for an ongoing period of time? Does that mean that if you struggle with the same sin for like two or three years and that just means you're automatically not a Christian? Like what about the situations where maybe someone's a Christian but they also struggle with sin? What's that going to look like in a Christian's life versus a non-Christian's life? Because being a Christian doesn't mean being perfect. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Or I guess not next week, but the next time we meet. But next time we're going to be talking about the Christian response to sin as I called, called it last week, Christian guilt. And so you need to have gospel belief. You're going to have righteous living. But then also, what, what does it mean when that righteous living isn't there? Does that always mean that the person's not a Christian? And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But with that, bow our heads, pray it out, do some discussion. I tried to go a bit quicker so that we could have time for like some intentional talking. But, yeah. Natalie, why I didn't <laughs> 
Lord, thank you that you've given us the book of James. Thank you that you've given us a book that's just so like slap in the face. James doesn't dance around issues. James doesn't take a long time to explain concepts. He just lays it out there and then moves on. And thank you for the terseness of that book. I pray that you would help us to see this warning that when we have faith, when we say we have faith, but we don't actually have works, that that means something about our heart. I pray that if we evaluate ourselves and we see that we're not standing up to this standard, that we wouldn't think to ourselves, oh, I need to have more works, but that we would instead evaluate our hearts and come to you. And Lord, I pray that as we're evaluating other people, one of the most important things that we are going to have to do as Christians is to be able to evaluate the salvation of people in the church, of people outside the church, and maybe even of people in our own family. And I pray that you would equip us to do that so that we can be effective gospel ministers. And Lord, I pray these things in the name of our King Jesus Christ. Amen.